Hello and welcome to the All Walks of Art show with Mike and Paul. It's uh, a beautiful day here in Ohio. It's a fantastic day, really, con- considering we've had nothing but nasty weather all winter. And uh, we have a new scotch with us today, a Johnny Walker Double Black. Um, it's a it's a good scotch. Is it? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it great. It's just good. I mean, it's just barely into the good range. I'm a snob. So you really, you're really not selling it to me. I mean, um, you gave me a glass here and uh, well, now I was all excited you, about it. Now you've kind of, you know, now I'm. Yeah, afraid. you can really tell a lot about what I think of a scotch when I offer it to you and I tell you to put ice in it. Yeah. That, that usually indicates that it's, it's better than red, Johnny Walker red, but it's not quite a hundred dollar bottle of scotch or more. So I, I don't know what the age is on this this scotch, but, you know, let's get on with the show. We could talk about scotch all day. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a show? Yeah, yeah we're doing a show. Are we going to take a drink? Yeah. I'm, I want to welcome everybody to the show, though, because I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck here on how do we start the show and have people interested? Where's the hook, right? So today we're going to talk about fame. We're going to talk about the time change. And I, I have a New York Times article that I want. Speaking of time, New York Times article that I want to talk about. Time, 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 time. It's, it's all related. <laughs> time is just a construct, yeah, man. It is. It is a construct. And what did uh, what did you have today? Because you said something. My mind's already blanked out. What? what? Oh, about um, you know whether the uh, d- does people's opinion validate or invalidate or? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 That's a, that's a deep topic we can get into. Hold on to that. But for now, welcome everybody to the show. <laughs> Let's have a drink. Let's have a drink. I, I'm anxious to see what you think. Cause the last, the last scotch, I'll, I'll wait on you. Cheers. Cheers. Hey. I'll wait on you to take a drink while I talk. The, um, the last scotch you had was about a $120 bottle, 18 year old. This one's probably a little more smoky. Um, that's interesting. It, it is. I mean, it's good. Yeah. It's got an interesting aftertaste. Yeah. It's it, definitely a smoke component to it. That's yeah. something I've never, I've never experienced that in a, uh, alcoholic beverage. It <laughs> is. It, I, I find it very good with a cigar. It, it complements a cigar very well. So if, if you're into that, if you're one of these people who like to sit and smoke a cigar while you drink your scotch, this is a good one for that. So I kind of like that. Yeah. It's, it's harsh at first though. It's very harsh. It is. It grows on you. Yeah. Uh, half a bottle later, I was doing <laughs> pretty good with it. <laughs> I'm going to take my pants off. Let's do this. Wait. All right. So one of the things I want to talk about here today about fame, um, and it's, this is in no way, shape or form me saying that an artist only validates themselves when they're famous. It's just that there was an article, uh, a recent study, that I read about. And I, I actually wrote, uh, for my patron account, uh, I wrote a blog post I, I do every week. It's called the week, uh, the weekend coffee break. But this week's topic, uh, yesterday was, uh, relating to this, this particular topic. And, um, it's hard to explain, but the, the researchers went into looking at, uh, several abstract artists, Right. And, and, you know, my feelings about abstract, I'm, I'm not really into it, but 
I, I found it comical to some degree that they said, regardless of how good or bad the art was, the fame of the artists themselves was what really drove their success and fame, meaning their social circles, you know, who, who did they know? And we, we know this. I mean, this is a common thing. It's not, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, right. Right. Um, but there was, because there was a study done, which just kind of tears me up a little bit that there was even a study done about it because it's kind of obvious. But once they really went into detail about it, it was like their work didn't even matter. You know, some of the, they, they would judge the work and say, okay, this, this artist technically is better than the other, which I don't know how you can do that in abstract. I, I fail to see it, but you know, you would, you would expect the better, more technical artist to be the more successful one, which wasn't the case. It was, you know, who did they know and, and where did they go with it from there? You know, it, it almost made me think that an artist who sits at home in their studio and paints is going to have a much harder time than someone who spends a lot of time socializing in the right circles and paints every now and again and just paints what they want. Does that make any sense? That, yeah. That, well, you're hundred percent right. So yeah, it, it bothers me because I don't know why that would work out. I, I still think that there's some sort of technical side of it that, that has to come out. And I just, I don't know. It, it bothers me. Does this work? Do you think this works that way, this way in music? Exactly. I mean, if you talk about just sheer um, ability, I mean, a, a, an analogy I use a lot is, you know, there's a reason why Steve Vai is one of the greatest guitar players ever, does these intricate compositions. Kurt Cobain could barely tune his guitar <laughs> and outsells him mm -hmm. a million to one. So, does that make Steve Vai less of an artist? Does that make Cobain more of an artist? You know, what's the... I, I honestly, as you were saying that, I don't really know because they're both pretty well connected, right? I mean, they, they had, I guess Steve Vai's most popular culture attempt at playing guitar was probably with David Lee Roth. Yeah, and I think he played, well, he played with Zappa. That's yeah, what put yeah. him on the map. But yeah, yeah that's... But That's where he got his notoriety. And then as much as I love his solo records, um, you know, Passion Warfare is still one of the, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It's just, it. you can listen to it. And that's, that's the thing. A lot of this instrumental stuff is not necessarily listenable. Yeah. But if he hadn't played with David Lee Roth, would we care? Would, would he have been? I don't, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Yeah. His fame kind of put him more in the spotlight that way. Right. Um, I certainly didn't know who he was before he played with David Lee Roth. Uh, there's another, uh, Joe Satriani is another one of those that is a fantastic guitar player. Right. Um, and really sticks out to me quite a bit, but he never really got a lot of airtime. Um, they play surfing with the alien sometimes on, yeah. on the radio and that's, uh, yeah. You know, uh, what do you, what do you, there was another guy like that too, and I can't think of his name. Uh, Gary Hoey. Gary Hoey, yes, that's exactly who I was I thinking. Had the of. remake of uh, yeah. Hocus Pocus. Saw yeah, him yeah. at Sweetwater at Gearfest uh, a few years ago. It was amazing. He was doing a clinic for uh, the Eleven Rack, and this is when um, the um, amp emulation has yeah. started to become a big thing again. And he was up there 
in a tent playing to some backing tracks, talking mm-hmm. about this new 11 rack uh, processor he was playing through. And there was like seven of us standing there in a tent watching him play guitar. And it was awesome. It is awesome. I, Cliffs of Dover is probably my favorite. No, that's uh, Eric Johnson. Oh, so yeah, I was thinking of somebody else. Yep. Well, maybe, maybe Gary Hoey is not on my radar. Uh, Gary Hoey, they played him. They played to his remake of Hocus Pocus on the radio a lot. But okay, uh, I'm going to have to go back and listen to yeah. that. That's where I'm a little. And he joined somebody and played for a while, but I cannot remember who offhand. But uh, huh. yeah, Eric Johnson, who's you're thinking of with uh, Cliffs of Dover, most boring guitar player ever seen live. Really saw him with Steve I and Satriani and Adrian Leg on the uh, G3 tour back in like 2001. Yeah. Incredible concert. Been Incredible. While. But Eric Johnson, just, I'm just not a fan. I mean, yeah. he's a, he's a great guitar player, Yeah, but it's just not my, but there you go. You got three in that lineup. You got three rock oriented, yeah. um, yeah. instrumental, mostly yeah. guitar players. Yes. And very technically advanced. Very technically. Everyone else. And, uh, let's see, it was at Vets Memorial. It was a packed house. It wasn't sold out, but, uh, it was, a. Uh, yeah, and it I, was full and it was a great concert and all three of them was are different yet they are technical instrumental guitar players. Right. Hmm. Yeah, it, it it really I don't know that this really goes along this type of fame is a little different than the fame that is being talked about in the article um in the art world based on the research it was more uh, your fame among high-end collectors, right? And trying to make sense of this, really, because, you know, any anyone can take off their clothes and run through Manhattan and become famous for a day. You know, people are going to forget until the next idiot comes along and does something stupid. But when you when you think about how a lot of these artists would basically hobnob with famous collectors, you know, or socialites. Uh, the, uh, I'm going to bring up the one I know, Jackson Pollock. He, you know. <laughs> ding, uh, ding. We yeah, got yeah. a Jackson Pollock reference. <laughs> I was trying, trying not to do this. But I, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge on his work because, you know, it's going to get bad if I do. You know, I, and, and teach their own. If somebody likes his work, that's great. You know, uh, okay. I'm going to skip over this for a second, but Peggy Guggenheim was, was really, a, <laughs> that, that's, that startle you? <laughs> Peggy Guggenheim. That's just, a, it's just, just the name came out of nowhere. It, it, well, it, yeah. Yeah. And she's uh, of the Guggenheim family, obviously. She's probably my favorite Guggenheim really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if Google was Guggenheim? I mean, you know. Is it? Maybe it is. Maybe it's short for Guggenheim. Peggy. We need our fact checker. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what was you saying? Uh, Peggy Guggenheim uh, was a was a wealthy collector. Um, the Peggy. Uh, I, I, I got my holes. <laughs> Darn it, man. <laughs> You stumped me. Uh, uh, I'm crying. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Uh, all right. So yeah, she pretty much propelled his career as a painter because of who she was. 
you know, she, she introduced Jackson Pollock, Jackson Pollock. Okay. Yeah. Into the world of fine art. Um, Lee Krasner was Jackson Pollock's wife. And you don't really hear about her as much, even though she was with Jackson a lot of the time when they were out know, socializing and things. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't know the insides. I'm sure nobody listening to this <laughs> right now that might know, you know, in her social circles, I'm not saying none of our listeners are, are way up the, the food chain, but I know I'm a little more crass when it comes to fine art and I don't really fit in the, the social construct of what I need to be in. Does that make sense? It does. So I, you know, I'm more of a, a blue collar, put your boots on buy my artwork kind of guy. <laughs> but you're saying, you know, cause I'm not real familiar with this part, you know, this part of the world, but mm-hmm. it's, it's Guggenheim. She, had an interest in Jackson's work. Yeah. A lot of influence. She had a lot of influence. And there you go. So people wanted to like him because she liked him. Yeah. Same thing in music. Uh, Yeah. Same thing. in he, I mean, in all art like that, movies are like that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But I think in popular, popular culture in terms of music and movies, TV shows, um, there, there's a, a viral aspect to the mob, right? We're part of the mob, all of us. And, if a television show or movie takes off and people are really interested in it, they're really going after it and they're looking at it going, wow, this is really good. I'm going to share it with my friends. That's a different kind of fame. The fame that I'm referring to is more of, um, you, you need to know this artist because he's going to be huge. So let's bring him into our, our soiree and talk about him and, and pump his, ego a little bit so that he'll make more of that kind of work. And then we'll start trading the work as if it's a commodity that only wealthy people can afford. Wow. That came out of nowhere. And I didn't really mean it to sound rude. No, obviously. but it's kind of to the point. It I mean, is. I get it you. is. Um, because, you know, I obviously being an artist myself, I, I do want wealthy collectors collecting my work, but at the same time, I don't really have, the social network to do it. It's um, we don't have a lot of millionaires in Ross County, right? Uh, there are more towards the bigger cities like Columbus and Cincinnati and, and whatnot. And I'm not saying we don't have any, right. but um, it's, it's a different kind of millionaire, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a social I, my family's always had money kind of a millionaire. It's more of a there's a lot of self-made millionaires in this area who, you know, got that way with dirt under their fingernails and, you know, putting on boots every day. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of Rockefellers or socialite people yes, that, that yeah. come from a long yeah, lineage yeah. of, of my dad had money. Therefore I have money and yeah. my son is going to have money because we're just rich. Right. Right. And, and I think that's uh, at least in the fine art market, that's where a lot of the money comes from. That's where a lot of the trading comes from. Um, under, I'm going to, I'm going to take a stab at it and say any, any painting under $3,000 is more in the normal range for everyone else. Whereas above 3000 being sold in galleries and, you know, moved that way is, is a different market altogether. So yeah, fame, 
your fame as an artist, I think really has a lot to do with your success. I really believe that. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? I don't know. I mean, I could crash a party, but I don't know that it would go well. How is a young up and coming artist supposed to get in that circle? I don't know. I, I think the education that you get might have something to do with it. You know, if you, we're in a realm here where I just don't really know the answers. Um, if, if I were young again and let's say 18, getting ready to leave mom and dad's house, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life as an artist, I would probably, knowing what I know today, I would probably go to the atelier system that we talked about before uh, in another podcast. But um, I think that would introduce me to the right collectors, which would introduce me to the right social events that I, that I should attend, uh, at least make keeping up appearances, so to speak, and build a network of friends. I'm not saying that everything has to be highfalutin, snotty, um, just, you know, kissing somebody's ass to be what you want to be. Uh, I don't, I don't adhere to that anyway. If, if someone likes my work because of my work, that's great. If they like my work because they think I can propel their social eliteness, you know, fuck them. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. Right. You know, um, and that, that really, that draws me back into the music side of it that, you know, you and I being musicians, we, we kind of, we, we, we know people like Joe Satriani and uh, not personally, but you know, we, we know of their work because they're just, they are the musician's musician, right? They're the level of, wow, look at the technical expertise that guy has. And we listen to it because it's just so much more interesting at, at so many other levels than to use your example, Kurt Cobain, you know, I, I, personally, I can't stand Nirvana. I think it's like, well, how in the hell did they make a living at this? You know, but I, I get it. They got some good songs. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's boggles my mind. The, the mythical legendary mm-hmm. status that mm-hmm. they got, but I mean, good for them. I mean, it's, they touched a, a certain demographic and a certain generation at yeah. a certain time that, um, you know, every band would love to be able to do. Right. Right. But, the songs connected with people and it's just like the art. If, if I think in a lot of, I mean, more times than not, art's worth what you can get, get out of it. Yeah. And you know, if, uh, some rich guy thinks that your art's worth $2 million, well, his buddies are going to think, well, that's worth two, $2 million. Yes. I need to have that too. Yes. It's a, you know, and I'm glad you brought it up that way because I, I really believe that is the hidden success factor. That is the key for every artist who is living out there. I I, uh, I do the math over and over, and people close to me just look at me like I'm crazy sometimes when I sit and say, you know, my production level, I want my production level to be 20 paintings a year uh, that sell. And I would like to make no more than 30 a year, knowing that I'm going to have, uh, you know, 10 turds in there <laughs> that I can't sell. Um, those 20 need to be able to basically fund my life. And by doing so, knowing that they're going to be sold at 50% or higher commission, I feel like those pieces 
should be selling in the neighborhood of twenty to thirty thousand dollars per piece, and that is unfathomable for a lot of people. It's it's inconceivable to me in a lot of ways that I would ever get that kind of money. But then I have to ask why, you know, is it inconceivable because my rent is eight fifty a month, <laughs> is right. right? Um, and I'm just well, not if somebody used to, else is getting it. Then why not me? Why not you? Right, right, it's, yeah. It's you got to get out of that mindset. I think it's yeah. like if if this if X is worth Y, then how come I'm not getting Y? Yeah, yeah. And the article, the the research article, really put it in perspective that yeah, the quality of the work doesn't matter at all based on what they found. And I think technically I'm good enough. So that is the case, I believe, for every artist on the planet. I really do. I You brought up a, a point earlier before we got into recording that, <clears throat> you know, I wish I could segue this much better into what you were talking about before we hit record, but... <sighs> Help me here. Use your words, uh, which I, I, I talk about a lot of things before we record. So you have to be more specific. <laughs> uh, you know, as we were talking about how artists, I, I don't want to lose this train of thought. It's stuck in my head and I can't really get it out. Um, you were saying that does an artist do their work specifically for them or they do it for their audience? I, help yeah. Me, what's more important know. is if, um, do you do art for yourself or do you do art for the public, the buyer, the, the, the listener, the art lover? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's more important because most of us, I think of as artists, no matter what medium you're using, you want people, you hope, you hope people enjoy it or they get something for it. It touches them emotionally. There's a connection there. You, you hope that I think if you're doing art and you, you say that, no, I'm doing it purely for me. Well, then you're a liar because yeah. it, it, unless you're just doing things at home in your basement purely for you, mm -hmm. you don't want no one to hear. Then, yeah, I get that. It's some kind of cathartic thing that you're doing for mm -hmm. other reasons. But the vast majority of us that that uh, whether we want to make a living or not, we want to share our art with other people. Then no matter how jaded you are or how secure you are with yourself and your work, deep down, you want somebody else out there to like that you want to have a connection to another human being with your art so then it comes to me i think well then what what's more important that connection that connection that the 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 other person has to your art or the connection you have to your art or the mm -hmm. connection you have to making your art right. what's what's the lines blurred there so what, what do we as artists, what are we doing? If, if I write a song, is, am I getting something out of it doing that in my basement or, you know, in the studio and I don't let no one hear it? I'm not getting anything out of it. But if I put that out there and it connects to somebody, that's for me kind of that's really what's more important. And yeah. that's that's more important than the art. That doesn't that doesn't jive with the way I think. But it seems I, I think like you're, I think I think you're on to something. And what I got out of that was are you a hobbyist or are you a professional? And, you know, we can define the word professional all we want. And, and you, you could be somebody who's not making a dime on your work, but you're striving to be a professional. And I, I think that's a professional as well. I think anybody who's working towards a level of professional, professionalism, you know, 
if you're wanting to make your living from your work, whether you're making a dime from it or not, I think, I think you're at the professional level. You've, you've entered that arena, so to speak. Um, and I think what you're saying is if you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're making your work for you, that's a hobby. Well, not necessarily, but it, it's, it's not even needing validation because I think validation is a little bit different, but you are validated if somebody else likes your work. But if, if you're just making it, if you're just making it for you, that that's one thing. But like I said, most of us, I think, are making it to try to get to have a connection. It's about a human connection. Yeah, yeah. And it comes to, are you think, thinking when you're, as you make your brush stroke or as you're, you know, putting two chords together in a song. I mean, is that in your mind? Is somebody, is somebody else going to like this? Am I going to be able to sell this? Is this going to work? There's a, does that contaminate you though? Exactly. Does it, you know, that's the question. Yeah. Uh, at, at some level, I, I personally think I need to create art that inspires me to make it, or I won't continue making art. It'll end up being a job. I've traded one job for another. Mm-hmm. And if I contaminate it with, I'm only going to make this painting because these are what sell for me. I think it takes the fun out of it. And I, I wonder how many artists over the years have fallen into that because they found the key. They found the one painting that everybody loves and they made another version of it and they made another version of it. And eventually they make a gazillion versions of the same thing that sold the first time. This is interesting. I didn't think we was going to go down this route with this, but you know, a hobbyist in my mind is doing it for the love of the art. Isn't that more pure then? It is. That makes it It more of an artist. How do do we maintain that (laughs) hobbyist mentality where we get paid for it? And that's to me, that's finding your market when you're painting something that makes you happy or you're making a music uh, score that makes you happy uh, sculpting or whatever it is you do. And that is the one thing that you would do if you weren't getting paid, but somehow now you're getting paid to do that. That is the ultimate goal as an artist to me. Yeah. I mean, and, and leaving your legacy, you were talking there a little bit uh, about some different things. And it made me think that, you know, my, my drive, uh, going back to fame, my drive is I, I really believe in, uh, the old Scandinavian lore of a man dies twice yeah. and you, you die physically once and you die again when they stop talking about you yeah. and your fame goes away. So, uh, the, a lot of people mis misunderstand a lot of the Scandinavian stories where it says, why was he so obsessed about fame? And that's why he does not want to die twice. And I fall under that. I, I really want my legacy to live forever. And that, that probably leads us up to our next topic. Um, museums are basically worried about their, their overcrowding of material. Their inventory is off the charts for some, some galleries. Uh, in fact, a lot of people probably don't realize that what we see in a gallery is only a, a small portion of their actual collection. So we're seeing, 
Well, let me back up here for a second. I, I read an article in the New York Times. It was published today by Robin uh, Pogrebin. If I'm burgering Robin's name, I'm really sorry there. But uh, P-O-G-R-E-B-I-N, I, I read it as Pogrebin. Um, the article goes on to talk about basically uh, these people who are collectors who die and leave their collection to a museum. And that's happened so many times over the years that some galleries are just overflowing with stuff, you know, and something you don't think about. No, you don't. And it's expensive because, you know, when they get new work in the fine art world, when they get new work, they need to quarantine that work for a while. Talking conservative, uh, conservatively, uh, as a conservationist, I should say, um, you don't want to introduce any uh, insects or anything that might contaminate other works. So you just don't take a, a collection and throw it in the basement with everything else. Otherwise, everything else might get contaminated. Never really considered that. Yeah. So then you got you got uh, light transmission uh, destroys work. Um, temperature destroys work. Humidity destroys work. Um, all these things have to be played in, into the factor here of how does a gallery store all of this material that is treasured by somebody, or at least it was, and most likely the artist who produced it. And then we're trying to preserve it for future generations. And now the gallery is stuck with, oh crap, I don't have enough space to store all this. So how do we determine what gets displayed? How do we determine what we sell? Because they're often uh, bound to legal contracts by the courts because it was in a will. You know, so-and-so left 200 paintings to this gallery and it must be on display for 50 years or you don't get it, right? Wow. Um, I, I don't know. There's a lot of dynamics here in, involved in this whole collection thing. And it really makes me think about the digital age. You know, where all of us are getting used to just looking it up, you know, Google it. And and there's an image of so-and-so, but that's not really the image, you know, or in the case of music, you know, we, we've talked about the downloads and stuff, but it, it exists out there in, in the internet, you know, this, this ubiquitous, sea of knowledge and information and stuff, right? You know, where are we going with this? Will the internet ever get so massive that we can't even find the stuff we're looking for anymore? I, I don't know. Well, you it, can't find half the stuff you're looking for now. Sometimes no, you can't. You get, yeah, you get, you get slapped with a dildo in your face because you're, you looked up something that happens to coincide with another word. It's like crap. Yeah, <laughs> That's not what I was looking at. But that's interesting about this, uh, you know, these basements are filled up with art that no one is seeing. And uh, there's somebody making decision of what's on display and what's not. And just because this guy thinks that this, this curator of this museum thinks that these five pieces should be shown and these 20 pieces in the basement shouldn't. Um, that's kind of like, that's depressing to me. That's... Um, I mean, yeah. Do they throw it away? It, you know? Right. I <laughs> right. mean, 
It's just like with, with uh, uh, program directors at the radio station. It's, you yeah, know, they decide. They, that, they curate what you see or right. hear. And yeah, that's yeah. the 20 song. Well, and, and like if you listen to Blitz, it's like that's the 10 songs that you're going to hear. All day. All day. Yeah. So um, there's some songs on there that, you know, out there that other people might think is good. And there's some, I mean, there's got to be paintings down in the basement here. There sculptures is. that people would love to see that would be inspiring and yes so how can how can we see those well and and at what at what point does the gallery director or the museum director make the decision of what's important or not so to answer this in something or to add to this conversation uh, the indianapolis museum of art at newfields the director charles venable has done something that people probably don't agree with. I don't know that I totally agree with it either. Oh, this ought to be good. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he took a lot of items from their personal collection. I mean, I, let me, let me go back here for a second and say that, you know, he's, he's very concerned about storage. You know, they're running out of room and at some point he's going to have to make a decision about what, what happens. However, what, what, the, what, what he, did he do? What, what did he do? He, Mike, he rated everything. <laughs> With a letter grade, A through D, A, A meaning it was important, D meaning not so much, and important to him or important to where, how did he come exactly up with exactly his yeah I don't really you know there was not a team involved in making this I don't know I mean it, it uh, assumes I mean yeah. we're talking uh, it was it was an according to the article it was an and I'm quoting here, quoting Robin, the author, uh, it was an ambitious effort to rank each of the 54,000 items that they have with letter grades. And, and the article goes on to show you some different things like, uh, you know, the flight to Egypt from Mark Chagall, uh, Jimson weed by Georgia O'Keefe. I mean, we're, we're talking oh, some serious, you one know, of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you really get down into it and, and I see what they're saying. Cause you know, like works on paper. A lot of people ask me often, Mike, why, why do you think oil is so important? Why don't you go back to doing the pen and ink and the watercolors? And uh, this is why works on paper can't be shown often. It's, it'll degrade really fast. Oil paintings on canvas will last significantly longer than something on paper. So if I want to leave my legacy, the choice is clear. Paint on canvas, right? Or wood. Um, but, you know, since 1970, just as an example here, I'm, I'm, I'm picking the, uh, the Museum of Fine Art in Houston. Their collection size has grown 1,400% since 1970. 1,400? Is that what you said? Yes, 1,400. 1,400%. Uh, in comparison, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, if for those of you listening in Philadelphia, 114%. So they've, their, their collection has doubled since 1970. So a lot of these collectors are dying <laughs> and leaving their collection to their local museum and saying, you know, this is what I want you to do with it. And that's the part of this article that kind of bothers me a little bit. Nowhere was it talked about the artist, what they wanted to do with it. But yet it really drove home that the collector owned it. 
It was theirs. No, they were a steward of the art, you know, as an artist. And I'm going to say this outright. When I sell a painting, I'm looking for a home for a child. You're looking for a wall. You know, I would love for Jeff Bezos <laughs> to come along and say, Mike, I like your work. We can make you rich on Amazon selling prints. Okay, let's do that. But I'd like for you to buy the originals of anything that I sell on Amazon, you know, and that's not going to happen. I know that. Um, he's he's worth, I want to say, $138 billion. I guess his wife has half of it now. I guess they're getting a divorce, but or have got a divorce. I don't know the details. I don't really care. I, I love Amazon. I'm a Amazon fanboy. Just having stuff delivered to my house is I got the new Queen's awesome. record in my mailbox today <laughs> on a right. Sunday. Yeah. They delivered on a Sunday. Yeah. Well, this, this decanter set came yeah. today, you know, that we're looking at. So at any rate, if Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Bezos would come along and say, you know, I want to buy that and he's willing to pay a lot of money. Yes, he bought it, but he's a steward of the painting that I created in my spare bedroom that I call a studio in Southern Ohio because it meant something to me. And going back to what you were saying before, how does this relate? You know, the fame and your hobby, your professionalism, your, you know, are you creating it for you? Is it something, you know, when you start looking at all this stuff, I mean, this is a, for me, this is a great episode because we're getting into the root of why an artist creates. And I don't know that we're going to have the answer, but there's a place I go when I paint mentally, there's a place I go that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world to me. It doesn't matter how nice of a vacation I'm on. Mentally, I'm never at the same place I am when I'm compared to standing in front of the easel working on a painting that I want to make. I, I don't, I really don't know how to put that in any other words. I don't. And I, I would assume it's the same way with music. You, you it reach is. a Zen, uh, I mean, Today I was rec we were, were recording my band Bioscrew were recording uh, basic tracks mm -hmm. at uh, at the studio and I mean there was a moment you know you're hitting it and you're just I'm playing and I'm just connected to these other people and it's just for a split second there you're just you're on a different plane yeah you're in the zone yeah yeah that's a wonderful place to be um I I I can't even imagine life without art I just can't. So I don't, I don't know what, um, I know people who have no creative bone in their body. I don't believe you know? that. I don't believe that. I, I believe that, uh, if you follow them around enough, there's something that they do. They may. Well, we know this guy. I can't say his name. <laughs> I, you don't even have to say, I don't yeah. think, but, but I bet if we, if we follow this cat around, there's something there's what. Well, if we're thinking, I can't say, but I think if, if we're thinking about the same cat, I think there may be something that, that, uh, he does that is creative and, uh, um, for him that there is, I don't know. We're, we're getting real close here, but yeah, uh, I think I, I, I know, you know who I'm talking about. Um, I guess I could write a little sign. <laughs> no, but. <laughs> I'm going to, but, so, that, so that the people at home don't know, and I don't actually have I, any repercussions. I think for, that, I think that if you, uh, I mean, if you have a spark of creativity, yeah, exactly. It's there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. We were actually on the same. We're on the same level. Yeah, but, yeah. A frequency there, there. But if really- you follow, if you follow somebody around long enough, there yeah. is something that, that they're that they're passionate about. Yeah, passion. Be, yes, and, and creativity is in there. I, I get that. But like, even if, if you're just if you're at home, if you're not a chef, you're at home cook. But you're really, you're really. So you think all of us have it? Oh yeah, we Every, all got that. We, everybody, everybody went. Okay, now I'm going out on a limb here. Yeah, this yeah. Please, crazy. please do. But uh, <laughs> Ed, Ed Gein, Ed Gein was an artist. Yeah, he killed people and. Wore their skin, made lampshades out of their their flesh, made things. You are terrifying no. me right now. No, but I'm saying <laughs> no, for real. He was it, it. It was totally misplaced, and it's awful and it's horrific. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah. and we're not uh, uh, we're not glorifying that in any way. But think maybe if he had Hitler was a painter. You know, uh, he was a terrible painter, but right. yes. but, but he was a painter. Think yeah. if, if that had been, look what he, you don't, um, you don't, you think of all that evil and all the things that somebody like that did. Yeah. Think if that, that drive was channeled into something good, you know? Yeah. If he wasn't kicked, if he wasn't told he wasn't good enough for art school, maybe he would have went to be an artist instead of a dictator. Right. Right. right? What if he would have <laughs> used that drive and his influence that he was able maybe to influence we, we people? We should research the school that he applied to and the Dean of admissions who said no, and actually go back in time and say, really dude. Right. But, <laughs> but you're you th- about to cause world war two. Think about the, I've thought about this, you know, this is something that I, it's funny how it kind of relates to this. Cause it was uh, something I thought about. Uh, earlier for a topic, but yeah. it's like, well, we all, we all have creative stuff and there, even the person that you're thinking about, there is, it's uh, maybe untapped. We may not see it in, in our limited view, but if we follow somebody around and long enough, we're going to see everybody is creative in their own way. Do you think maybe they just have a hard time tuning into that frequency? Yes. And that's, that's probably all it is. What well, we're taught is well, who's the most, pure artist there is young children oh young yeah. children yeah, they make yeah. a blue dog and a yeah. and a red sky and they just think it's awesome and as we get older we're taught uh no you gotta do things a certain way you gotta fit in this mold you gotta do that but um some people don't and they yeah. continue to do that and i think we all have that we all have that at a young age we want to be creative even if um um you don't have musical talent, but you like hitting pots and pans or, or, you know, the class clown and and you're thinking of ways, how am I going to make this class laugh? You're, you're being creative in this ways of, in these ways of, of, um, being disruptive. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It, it's just, as you get older is, are you going to channel that into something just horrific and destructive like Ed Gein, or yeah. are you going to channel it into something good? Like, you know, the vast majority of us. Well, like, we all have that. uh, I just, I cheated here. I Googled it because I know he said it, but uh, Picasso said every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist as we grow up. And oh, there you go. You can't argue with Picasso. You can't, you can't, you know, I'm going to say something to be clear. He was great. So he is a valid artist. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, All of my own opinions really don't matter in terms of art, you know, 
I'll, I'll give you a really good example of this and using Picasso as an example, I really don't like his art at all. There's nothing in it for me that when I look at it, I get nothing out of it. But as an artist, I think what he's achieved, I, I admire what he's done. I admire the fact that he did the things that he did as an artist and he, he pushed the envelope in terms of shaking things up. He wasn't always, you know, the, the, uh, I don't really know the words I'm looking for, but the, the establishment uh, of the time wasn't ready for him either. And that really led to a lot of controversy in the work he was producing. And, and the blue period was another one of those, what are you doing? You know, I was selling this work for you and it was doing good. And now you're bringing me something that's all black and blue with white in it. I don't, I don't get it. But I, I think at some level, he was a child looking to be a child again. And I can relate to that because when I'm in the studio and I'm painting, oftentimes I'm thinking about how wonderful it was at mom and dad's house to be in the basement, just making art as a kid, you know, that, that same feeling. There's a purity. There's a purity there. Yeah. Yeah. And taking that purity and putting it in there and saying, yeah, I just want to make art because that's who I am. I haven't lost touch with that feeling enough to not paint or not draw or not make music. I mean, there's a, there's a vivid memory in my mind about dad and I cleaning up a drum, my very first drum set that we bought used from somebody else's basement. And you know, you throw all this stuff together and all of us would love to be professional at the things we like to do. Cause I mean, that's, how wonderful would life be if you could just wake up and get paid to be you? Right. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know. This is this. I think we've only scratched the surface with the whole deal of, of, of all of this. And I hope somebody listening can actually get something out of this. Um, Something that kind of goes along with it. You know, you talked about how um, when we spoke earlier about the saturation of music and all, all this art in the, um, that's being overrun by the museums. But you think, you know, somebody that likes you, that respects you, somebody listening to the podcast. It, oh my God. Oh, we, we got, got all kinds of stuff. Are we still on? Are we still broadcasting? Are we still yes, here? Yes, we're still there. Uh, but if you recommend, if you recommend, if you recommend an artist or you recommend a, uh, a painter or something, somebody might check it out because they like you. They like the stuff you do. They like the stuff you say. Yeah. It's just a way to filter out the, um, there's so much out there. How else are we going to, we can't possibly see everything there is to see. <laughs> we got wish, all kinds of wild stuff. Going. I, I wish, wish we had, that. this should be on video right now. It should be on video. My hair's in my face. Everything's going on. We got liquor being poured. Yeah, I just about just about had to buy a new Zoom. And I would like the H6. If anybody wants to sponsor the podcast so that I can buy a new recorder, that would be fantastic. But uh, yeah, my headphones are on the ground. Hair's in my face. Our pants are still on those. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, I was trying to tie this back into, <laughs> in, into you talk about how how it took this Guggenheim to 
to discover Jackson Pollock. Now yeah. To, yeah. You know, she liked liked it, so therefore everybody else thought yes. they should like it. I, I think that's how it went, yes. So I, I think it's like that on smaller levels too, just like if, if somebody ref- tells me about a band or or um, if uh, that's how I discovered Unknown Henson. I saw, yeah, yeah. I saw a um, interview with um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. And he was talking about unknown Henson. I'm like, I never heard of this cat. So I, Billy Bob is in your social circle. No, no. I saw him in an interview. Oh, and oh. he was on the Rollins show. Rollins used to have a really cool uh, talk show that was on IFC. You ever see the Rollins? Talk yeah, show? yeah. He has a podcast now. Does he? It's a good one. Is it? Yeah, right, check it out. He's yeah. an interesting guy. He is. But he, is. Um, he comes over every now and again. I'm trying to get him on the show, but oh, that'd be awesome. You know, honestly, and I got a. I got. I thought we were gonna have Dax. Well. Something, something happened there. You know, he talked about Route 23 the other day in one of his articles or one of his podcasts. I was like, hey. Well, that's interesting. Why is he, why does he keep bringing up stuff that relates to me? You know, I don't know. Maybe he does listen. I mean, we're on the same, we have the same host for our podcast. That could be. So maybe by mistake, he clicked on, you know, this one and said, oh, I like those guys. I mean, I he's from Detroit and we see a bus. I see a bus every day. It goes up to Detroit from Nashville on 23 out here. I don't know. Maybe I can drag him in. That'd be cool. I'll have to, six, again, six degrees of separation. I cut you off. You did. You totally cut me off. I was trying to make a point. but I, uh, Well, keep making your point because no. No? no I'm not, I'm, <laughs> you, you don't own me. I, You're not the boss of me. This, this whole thing just kind of started to fall apart because I the whiskey decanter was all the way across the room. <laughs> I can't help it. Must ingest whiskey, <laughs> double black. <laughs> yeah. But I don't what know. I'm saying, what, what I'm getting at is we do that already on a, uh, we, we like things that other artists that we respect. Yes. Like yeah. 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 Other, uh, if, a Another musician that's local is into a band I haven't heard of. I'm going to check them out because they referred it to me. It helps me sift through, uh, the, the noise. Th- yeah. Yeah. The, the noise. But how can we as artists um, help each other like this? Uh, I would assume, I don't know. I don't know Jackson Pollock. I know you, you don't like the he guy. He passed but, away. Yeah. But when he was alive, he surely had to have other artists friends. Why didn't he yeah. say, tell this Guggenheim, hey, check this out. Um, I, I think he probably did. I mean, that, that's why I brought up Lee Krasner, his wife. I mean, it, she's had limited success. Um, but in that kind of part of our falls under our, our responsibility as artists, that if we get in that situation, um, you know, Guggenheim wants to, wants my band to play at the, (laughs) at the gala. Um, it, it, it just is the competition so much that I can't be like, Hey, there's a, you, you know, you like us, you know, I want to get that money yeah. and I want to get that exposure and yeah. I'm doing that gig. Trust me. But Hey, what about this band? You should, you, if you like us, you should check out yeah. my friends and, and this band, or, or if, if you like my painting and you like my art, you know, I'm this brilliant young artist I'm friends with. You should check out this, look at their work. Yes. And I think that's what we've lost today. When you go back to the early 1900s, we didn't have the internet to, market ourselves. We didn't get on there. Our social circles have changed in a lot of ways. And this is kind of the key that I'm getting at here that I really didn't, I didn't write about it, but it's been on the back of my mind and you kind of brought it out 
that I, I think each of us have this micro cosm of social network that we are not able to expand like we did because we just, we don't go to the places where these people meet. For example, you and I like heavy metal and I, I'm going to assume some people listening to this podcast are probably tired of hearing about heavy metal. They would like to hear about the other kinds of music or what other kinds of art are we talking about? Uh, all walks of art should be about all walks of art, not just what you guys keep talking about. I get that. However, it's what you and I know on this show. It's the music we know. I, I, I'm influenced, yes, by jazz and some other popular um, music. I've been exposed to a lot of different kinds of art. And, and I appreciate that. I think anytime I go to a museum, it's, it's good to look at other art just because I'm not a fan of Picasso or uh, Jackson Pollock or uh, de Kooning or, or any of these other people who I just think artistically aren't, aren't technically great, but they've been given this pedestal that they're on. I, 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 I don't understand it, but that doesn't mean that I can't respect it. Your feelings doesn't invalidate their art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, for a lot of people listening, uh, there's probably also a little bit of uh, crassness that might be coming across, or this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, or he's not educated, he's self, self-taught, self all these things. He, he should have went to school to become well-rounded. I think it's all bullshit, but, you know, who am I? I'm just a guy sitting here in my room talking to my friend. <laughs> right i i don't know i i think i think it, well how can we come together as an art, artistic community i mean i i feel like that uh, what we're kind of what i'm kind of driving at from seeing this come together just in this discussion it's um and we talked about it we have a pretty good uh uh close-knit musician scene here the musicians yeah. all support each other yeah um but and we got photographer friends that yeah. we support and um, it's like, how can we do a better job of, of um, showing this, throwing the spotlight on each other Yeah. Um, in this day and age, you know, what, well, in that kind of, I feel like that's my responsibility, especially as I, I get older. Um, well, I think we need to get out more um, to answer that really clearly. And I'm a terrible person at this. When a local band has a show, we need to go see them. Just, just drop what you're doing. You know, that, that show on Netflix will be there. Go watch your body play, you know, get out, you know, get in public. Stop spending your life on the computer. I'm talking to myself right now because I, I am a hermit. My wife will tell you when I get home from work Friday night, it's very difficult to pry me away from this house until Monday when I have to go to work. And even through the week, I don't want to go anywhere but work. I want to come back home. This is my sanctuary. Right. And I think socially speaking, it's probably damaged me. Uh, not going to enough shows. Uh, Lori, you know, Lori was here a couple episodes ago. Uh, I haven't seen one of her comedy shows in probably a year and a half to two years. Yeah, but that's a lot of Thursdays. And, you know, you and I are both tied up on on yeah, Thursday yeah. evening. So, it, I mean, it, yeah, true. But at the same time, maybe as artists, 
we need to put as much emphasis on getting out and seeing people face to face as we do making our art in solitude. Because yeah, there's something to that. Yeah, yeah. Cause being an artist is, is it's a lonely job. It is. I know with a band, it's a little different, but you're, you're still kind of lonely. Yeah. You know, you're spending more time rehearsing in a place that nobody knows exists versus on that stage doing your performance. It takes you, you know, a month of preparation for that 45 minutes that people Mm -hmm. see you. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. This was a good episode. I think Uh, it's my favorite. Got to be more. So if you get in a position to where somebody is, you know, if, if I get the opportunity to, to do a big show or, or, um, somebody that can make things happen. I'm around that. I, I feel like it's, it's kind of my responsibility to, to shine the spotlight on other yeah. artists as well. And I think it's the same way with, with painters. If, if you get involved with, a um, somebody that's going to be that, that, that big, that millionaire, um, that wants some exclusive art in their house. Yeah. I think that, yeah, you don't want to get rid of your golden goose, but at the same time, this guy's only going to buy so many paintings yep. by you. Yep. Why don't you turn him on yep. to uh, somebody else that, that you love and you respect and, and their art is touches you. I think that's kind of, you already got this, this guy, this woman's ear. So they're going to, they're going to check this person out. You have power. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that's kind of, that's something that gets overlooked. That's our responsibility as artists. I mean, it's not all about us or is it, you know, is it about. I don't think it is. I think I, I've said this several times. I've, I've learned the phrase from Chase Jarvis. He's a photographer in Seattle. Um, I don't know if he came up with it or not, but it's where I learned it from. Uh, a rising tide floats all the boats. Yeah, that's, that's a, I've heard that a lot and that's true. And I think. You know, obviously I want people buying all my work and I would love to have collectors who are buying it, but I need to grow as an artist too. That means that again, back to those 20 paintings, my goal as an artist is to find 20 collectors at this market. And then each year try to find two more that are at a different market level higher up so that I can continue to grow. Otherwise I'm going to stagnate myself in the one market and it's going to flood. I'm going to eventually run out of customers, you know, and I think that's where we're at, at the lower levels, the area is flooded, you know, the, the sea level is not very high. The tide hasn't come up high enough for all of us yet. Right. And your boat is stuck on the shore. You know, you're still trying to deal with the customers that are in your vicinity, so to speak, because that's all you can get to. You can't just, launch your boat out into the ocean and go somewhere else because you're stuck on the sand. So as the rising tide floats the boats, you push a little higher. You try to find that next group. And again, 20 paintings, because this is what makes sense to me. That $500 client I have today is not going to be my $5,000 client tomorrow. And that $5,000 client tomorrow is not going to be the $10,000, $20,000 client of the next day. So in my career as an artist, getting my level to that $20,000 or $30,000 per painting range I want to be at before retirement 
has a lot to do with the fact that I need to take stepping stones and say, okay, these 20 are my current market. The next market is the next step and so on and so forth. And yeah, you're going to introduce yourself to new people along the lines. You know, you're going to social circles are going to change. Um, your friends, I don't think will ever change if they're true friends, you're going to drag them along with you. And this is probably where a lot of the, uh, we were alluding to it earlier. A lot of the paintings of the early century, early 19th or 20th century, uh, movements, you know, where the impressionism was dying off and the abstract was coming in and there's a resurgence in, in classical realism today. I, I think there's a network of people in each one of those places that for me as an artist, I need to get my foot in the door and let people know who I am. And if that means going on Instagram to share some work or uh, follow somebody on Twitter and move up, up the levels that way and maybe um, find a way to get myself into a physical environment with these people, you know, at an art show or whatever. I think that's, that's important as artists. And, and if anybody's listening to this right now thinking, well, how do I, how do I do this? I would, I would suggest starting at whatever you can sell locally at the price the market will bear locally you start attending those social engagements that those people go to, you know, join the country club or whatever you got to do to start getting FaceTime with people. Cause no matter how you look at this FaceTime is still King. Right. And, uh, and that works with music too. If you're, if you're playing music and you're only playing in your basement, no one's ever going to know who you are. Right. But if you go to the Outrose Villa in Columbus and do a show, even if you're the first band, when there's 15 people in the building, it's still better than being in your basement. Right. No matter how you look at it. And hopefully those 15 people uh, out of that, you know, five of them that tell their yes. friends, hey, yep. I, next time these guys come to town, you got to check them out. Yep. And I, I think that's, for me at least, that's been the missing link. I just don't get out enough. Um gather your, your influence, you know, find other artists like you who are interested in things like you, you're going to have egos. There's going to be people out there who would just have an ego that they're not going to gel. Well, just ignore them, move on. Uh, the, the network you create is going to work itself out in the long run. Um, I've, I've had certainly enough people in my life that had egos that I didn't really need to be around that brought me down. I'm, I'm so, sort of an empath in that, that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a really bad, um, talent, <laughs> so to speak of bringing people into my world that actually suck the energy out of me. And I have to be careful with that. So, um, you know, it's, there's a lot in today's podcast that really, I think, on the surface, has the potential to make artists think about what they're doing as artists. And that's that's really the whole point of this podcast. I really want people to, you know, listen to the show and, you know, why they're painting or why they're writing music or driving down the road or however they're listening to these podcasts. 
I want them to think creatively of what they do and what they can do as an artist. And hopefully this episode brought some things out to you. You know, there's, there's an abundance of art out there. Now we see it, you know, when museums are actually curating what they have in their basements or their storage facilities and trying to make their own decisions on what is valuable or not. So they can sell it to another gallery or put it in long-term storage or whatever. That is an indicator right there that you are in a flooded market. You need to be you and your customer is the person who loves your work. Don't focus on everything else. So I don't know. I, I hope I've answered a few questions for people. I hope, I hope Paul and I have really made you think about the different aspects of being an artist and what you can do to be a better artist. And, um, you know, if you're thinking amateur professional or fame or no fame or, how do you compare to others and all these other things? I, I, I urge you to basically find your network and get out there and, and, and really, really push it, you know, push, get FaceTime with people, uh, find people like you and spend some time with them. Do you agree? Definitely. Yeah. And, and tell somebody about somebody that you love. Yeah. Maybe they don't know. Again, the rising tide floats all the boats. Uh, we're all in this together. We're all making the same shit. You know, we're just looking for somebody to like it <laughs> yeah. so that we can pay our rent or, uh, you know, buy another bottle of scotch <laughs> or, 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 whatever. or buy a new base or some yeah, new, yeah, new yeah. Uh, brushes or. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, not sponsored by anybody. And I kind of like it like that. I don't say that I won't ever accept a sponsor, but I think the more I think about it, um, and Paul would probably beat me up after the show because we can get free shit. <laughs> well, you know, I, I believe uh, I, I endorse a few products, you know, in, in the music world and it's stuff that I use. I, I don't, you know, I think if it's, if it's stuff that you use, I yeah. don't think that that uh, corporate sponsorship is always the devil, but I yeah. think I'm not going to say that I'm wearing Nikes and I hate them and I actually wear Adidas, you know, or whatever. Right, so right. I, I don't, I don't like that, but I mean, you got to think too, it depends on the money. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. If AKG come along and said we're going to sponsor the show, I'd be happy to because I like their headphones. But you're using their stuff. But yeah. I mean, if you hated, uh, I don't know, like if Radio Shack come back and their little, you know, chintzy <laughs> conditioner mic, but they they wanted you to. Uh, that this is a good topic for another show. It is. It is. It's like where 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 do you draw the line? Yeah. Because if they're going to give you fifty grand to mention uh, mention their stuff on the air and you're not using it and you hate it. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. 50 grand ain't enough, but what's, what's your price? There's always a price. Yeah. You know, that's um, something to think about, but, uh, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole today, but <laughs> that is, uh, so you did, know, you get, I, did you get enough to drink? Well, I gotta ask. I did. That was good. It, I drank it that, if you can see the, uh, the, the, uh, well, the uh, glass is empty. Yeah. The glass I, is empty. And I'm not it's drinking. a vessel ready for more. It, I'm not saying you have to have to drink more because nah, I, you know, I have to drive. responsibility. Yes. Now, um, uh, do, is there a way that people can uh, contact us and send us is. messages? And that so is forth? a great segue. Uh, Michaelworth.com, M I C H A E L W A R T H. Oh, that's complicated. Dot com. Is yeah, there going to be a link? There should be a link there, somewhere. I don't know that I can make links. I'll try. I'll try a link. You should have that. Yeah. Because that's a lot. To, what is it again? 
<laughs> I'm a drunk over here yeah. right now. No, I, I, uh, michaelworth.com. You're going to find everything there. It's a M I C H A E L W A R T H.com. I have to say W A R T H right. because people butcher it all the time. And you, people still listening, you know, here to the end, I'd like to get some, you know, feedback on how, how, how are you networking? How are you uh, supporting other artists? That's the thing I want to know. Yeah. Is there something we're not thinking about? Uh, um, that, that That's the thing. If, if we don't support other artists, who will? Yeah. And so, we're always open to having other artists on the show. I yeah. did, I did a podcast uh, Friday night, as a matter of fact, uh, with a guy in Seattle. So, I mean, it's, you don't have to be here. We can do it another way. Um, I was a guest on his show. Um, hopefully it'll turn out well. Uh, I think it did, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for other artists. I want to talk to other artists. I don't care what kind of paintings you make or, uh, the music you make. I may not agree with it all the time, but I think that's the spice of life. I think that's the cool thing that we can bring to it because there's something that somebody has out there that can bring something to the table, regardless of our own, opinion art is subjective work. but the love of creativity and the, the drive to want to make something that's universal yeah that's what binds us yeah so. it, it's the whole point so well, i guess I, I should plug mgflash.com too. yes you, you can should find all of our stuff from there I, w- I was told by uh ryan told me that uh i should just plug mgflash.com and they can they can you can find us on youtube and facebook and all that stuff yeah. from there i'll plug my other bands when i got some stuff to cool we got cool. some stuff in the works yeah, the, the podcast, you can find the podcast actually through iTunes and uh, different places there. We're hosted by Simplecast. I'm very, very proud of Simplecast. They do a, a really good job. They've uh, released a couple new updates to their system where you can pay a little bit more for some other things, which is kind of cool. Um, but they're they're still, price-wise, they're still very affordable, economical for those of us who want to put these out there. I think it's a wonderful day and age we're living in where we can have our own radio talk shows basically yeah, in our pretty cool. rooms and, and talk about things and, and write us if you're listening write us. Yeah. Yeah. Leave a, go to, go to iTunes specifically. If you're listening to this on iTunes or you have a, a podcast situation where you're going through iTunes, uh, leave a comment because it, it helps us. Uh, good or bad. I don't care. You know, if yeah, you don't, it's not if, you don't like me, show, but if you think I'm full of shit about something, I'd yeah, love to hear about it. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're looking, we're reaching here. Uh, we're episode six or seven. I don't even remember. They, they made us, <laughs> that's a long story. I'm not going to go there, but, uh, episodes, you know, we're, we're deep. We're getting in there deep. He said deep. Uh. <laughs> I just, that's what she said. I, I just said I held it in, but then just you went there. Just put tip in there. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I know we're irreverent. I know there's a lot of people who probably think that the show needs to be more. Um, I don't know what the word. Uh, couth. <laughs> Believe me, they're not even hearing half the stuff they could be hearing. Oh, I know, right. I, we're I just, just like everybody else. Man. Yeah, we yeah, want to yeah. have fun. We're just, you know. Yeah. Uh, you are getting a artist. glimpse. Yes, yes, absolutely. You're getting a glimpse at the artist's mind in a way that I'm not going to put on a front. I don't really care if you like the show or not. That's why I say if you got and give us a negative review, fine. If you give us a positive review, fine. But we want you. We hope you do. We hope yeah, you yeah, like yeah. it. But it's, you know, I mean, you're not going to come like back if you is, don't. I would hope. That, that's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe they just. Maybe they like put it on a party and it's like, listen to these two idiots. That's cool too. You know, I'd, 
I don't know. I don't know. I think we're going to sign off here. We're a little over an hour and uh, yeah, we're an hour and 10 minutes now. So uh, I'll probably edit a little bit of the beginning and the end to make it. Yeah. Are you going to edit this out? What am I saying here? No. Oh, actually, that's a good point too. I I need to say this. Uh, I found that a lot of people edit a lot of their conversations and Paul and I, we turn the recorder on and we don't stop till we're done. Yeah, there's somebody That's right now thinking, well, yeah, no kidding. We can tell. <laughs> right. yeah. It is yeah, what it is. We're just out. trying to have a conversation and, yeah, and you know, keep it real. You know? And if you're listening to it, we love it. It's great, yeah. man. That's awesome. Tell me what you're drinking. You know, if you, oh, if, if you enjoy the show, I, I'm not advocating alcoholism at all, but if you like turning the show on, because the whole idea of this show for me is I want to create a lounge experience where art artists can just sit and chat, you know? And, uh, that's, that's why the alcohol comes into play sometimes. You know, when I mentioned, Hey, we're having this or we're doing this or whatever, it's, it's not because I want to be an alcohol show. It's because I want it to feel like, Hey, welcome to my studio. Have a drink. Enjoy your time with us. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Alcohol is, uh, it's a lubricant and a catalyst for a lot of, you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jackson Pollock, he was an alcoholic. (laughs) Well, you're not really selling it on this one. I I know, but you know, I think you were talking earlier about it and and then we're going to go down another rabbit hole if I'm not careful, but I do think Jackson Pollock and I probably would have got along. He was a crass, arrogant asshole for the most part. And I like crass, arrogant assholes. That's why you're here. Well, hey, all right. <laughs> Congratulations no, no, no. to me. No, no, no. no. I guess Paul is a Paul's a really good guy. But no, I just uh, I like abrasive people. I just I, you know I don't know. Well, that's what you remember. You don't remember. You, you remember people that rocked the boat yeah. a little bit. You yeah, know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. My uncle Bob. He was man. You know that phrase, Bob's your and Bob's your uncle. You know. Uh, yeah. Like, no, here's no. how you do this, blah, blah, blah. And Bob's your uncle. You know, I always get a kick out of that because Bob is my uncle. <laughs> and he was probably the most aggressively abrasive person that I've ever met. Uh, I loved Bob. He was probably my favorite of all my uncles. Uh, he was scary. Little guy, too. He wasn't very big. He was. Well, those are the ones you got to watch. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was a fantastic guy. So rest in peace, Uncle Bob. So anyway, way to bring us down. Yeah, we were, we were doing so good. Now. Yeah, it's, it's the whiskey, <laughs> whiskey without the e, for all my friends in Scotland. So, uh, all right, that's all we got today. We've kind of drugged this out a little bit. If you're still here listening, I salute you, and thanks uh, a lot. We will be back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Later. <laughs> <laughs>